if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to join me in the Gospel of Matthew. The book of Matthew is where we're going to be today, Matthew chapter 5. And uh, as you're making your way there, again, I do want to express my gratitude to, to Doug and to Chris and to Tim and uh, some behind the scenes with Lauren as well, just making sure that we were able to have a chance just to lift up our voice and praise. And so thank you to those, uh, especially here this morning. Uh, as we're turning to a passage that some of you may even find familiar, we're, we're continuing our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we started it really last week. Um, we did the introduction to take a look at a kind of a bird's eye view of the, of the whole, and now we're getting to kind of zoom in and, and take a look at some of the specific passages. And I think the one that we're going to look at today might even be something that you've heard before. It might be something that you would say, oh yeah, yeah, I know that. Uh, uh, it's even kind of obvious of this is who we are to be if we're followers of Christ. But sometimes I found that the obvious doesn't always seem to um, to click with us, and so I had a few examples of how the obvious doesn't sometimes seem to be uh, making sense, and we need to make sure that those are aware. And I think we have some of these, but uh, I want to show you just a, a clip. Do we have that first one, Dalton, of uh, of the of the chainsaw? Okay, this is actually on a chainsaw. It says, do not hold the wrong end of a chainsaw, and it has someone's fingers being crunched within the chainsaw, and I saw that, and I was like, should be pretty obvious, but there are people who need that kind of instruction. Here's another one I wanted to show you. Uh, this is from a hairdryer. It actually says on the instructions, instructions for use, do not use while sleeping. Now, I beg to differ, actually. Uh, when I was in college, my roommates and I had this desire that we're going to wait as long as we can not to turn on the heat to save money. And uh, as a result, I had put literally all the blankets I possibly could on top of me. It was very, very cold. We were definitely in January, February at this point. We, we'd gotten to a great point of not turning on the heat. I'm freezing to death. And then I had Hang on one second. And then I had this wonderful idea that I was going to, uh, to go into the restroom where one of my roommates, I don't know why, he blew dry, blow dry his hair, that's what he did. And so I took that hair dryer, plugged it in, and uh, every now and then I would turn that thing on and I would heat up the, 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 the sheets there uh, where I was sleeping. And uh, I was sharing a room with a guy and he, he started throwing things at me. He's like, Stephen, you got to stop it. Because like every 20 minutes I was like, it's so cold, I got to turn it on. So I don't know if I completely agree with that, but I kind of get it. Let's go to the next one. Here's another one that might be pretty obvious. This was actually on a costume for a Superman for ch children. This costume does not enable flight or super strength. Pretty obvious, but sometimes people might think, I'm Superman now, I'm going to jump. And, uh, and then here's another one. Uh, this has to do with uh, consumption of, of peanuts. Uh, it's specifically... We only had the three. Okay, awesome. Uh, so there, <laughs> there, there is actually on a can of peanuts, it says, warning contains nuts. And I'm like, are you serious? Um, uh, hello, Captain Obvious. And then I can remember, I can't remember what airline I was on, but I get, you know the one airline you receive that package of peanuts and when they don't come by with it, you kind of get mad at them. But I remember getting a package of peanuts and it said, instructions, open and consume nuts. And I was like, uh, what? For, that's, that's what you have? Uh, another one that I found that I found later on, there were two that I thought were kind of funny. This was a sleep aid, kind of like a NyQuil, and it says, may cause drowsiness. And I was like, well, I hope so. That's why, that's, that's why I'm taking this thing. I want to sleep. And then there's another one, and I asked Tiffany about this yesterday. We we're getting ready to go to the, to the service for the funeral yesterday, and and uh, we were talking, and I was like, should, should I get this shirt ironed or whatever? And I, and I asked her, I said, I found one of these like weird instruction labels. I said, have, have you ever ironed while you had your clothes on? Like, have you ever tried to iron your clothes while you're wearing them? And she's like, no, why would you do that? And I was like, apparently it's a thing on, on some, uh, some irons. If you buy them, it says, do not, 
iron while you wear your clothes. And I was like, but I could kind of get it. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I could kind of understand if you're in a rush, you're outside getting, trying to get out of the house and you just got to kind of crease those pants or whatever it may be. But sometimes we, we see things out there and we're like, obvious. But sometimes we miss the obvious as well. Look at Matthew chapter 5. This is just coming out of the, the, the Beatitudes, and he, he's kind of sharing, okay, if these are the attitudes that you were to have as followers of Christ, as, as Christians, then here's your response. This is how you're, how, how you're to impact the world that is around you. He says in verse 13, chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has become tasteless, how can it be salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If you have been in the life of the church, and if you haven't, that's perfectly fine, but, but this is a passage that a lot of people maybe have heard uh, as you've studied Scripture. You're, you are salt and you are light if you are a follower of Jesus. And sometimes we might hear something enough that whether we intend to or not, it goes in one ear and it goes out the other. Because we're like, well, that's obvious. Yeah, this is what we're supposed to be. But, but the question today that is just posed to all of us, to you and to me, is are you salt? in this world? And are you light? Are you living in such a way that you are making an impact in the world that is around you? Because you may, you may have noticed this, but it seemed like it stood out to me really uh, uh, fresh and, and anew. In both, both verse 13 and 14, when he says, you are the salt and you are the light, it's almost as if he's trying to, how else can I, Jesus is saying, how else can I emphasize my point to you? It's almost like a psalm or a proverb of where when you would read a proverb in the book of Proverbs, uh, it would almost be like a couplet of where I'm going to say something, but to emphasize my point, I'm going to say it again in a little different way. This is Jesus saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's not that we retreat and, and, and escape what's going on in the world, that when the culture shifts and when things change, we, we don't change and we don't retreat. We stay engaged because we want to impact and we want to engage the world that is around us. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we do pull back, we do shrink away because we don't want to disrupt. We don't want to cause chaos or, 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 or any kind of uh, issue. And, and I can remember uh, whenever, I was, uh, whenever I was pastoring before, there, sometimes there was these comments of, you know, if... God is not a God of confusion, and so we, we can't ever have moments of where we talk, you know, honestly, but tactfully and lovingly with one another, even if, like, we disagree on some things. And it was like, that's true, God is not a God of confusion, but he, and He wants there to be peace, but not at the sake of purity and not at the sake of His standard of His Word, that we want to continue to preserve that which is, which is true and that which is absolute from His Word and, and from the, the, the lips of, of Jesus. And what happens is we can, we can hear this truth, we can even hear it today, and it, either we miss it or we don't apply it into our lives, because sometimes what we can do is we can think, well, uh, I've heard the gospel of Jesus, He died for my sin, I don't want to go to hell, that's all fine, that's all great, but then we almost relegate the deliverance of God, of our soul from sin, 
that He would justify us, sanctify us, one day glorify us, and we relegate our salvation to just fire insurance. When, yes, He has saved us from the consequence of sin and, 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 and hell, but He, he saved us to, to, to be an influence and an impact here and now before He takes us home we don't want to just get by and put it on cruise control and just kind of make our way through this life and not, you know, ruffle too many feathers or rock the boat. He, he doesn't want us just to be, again, as we mentioned last week, He doesn't want us just to be, you know, rude or pugnacious, but He does want us to, to engage and stand with conviction of what we know to be true because we know that our truth is going to bring life and life abundant, even if sometimes it's hard to, to hear. That's who we're called to be. And so He begins with, in verse 13, Number one, he says, you are the salt of the earth. The points today are super simple. Jesus made them super simple today. You are the salt of the earth. And as the salt of the earth, you're, you're preventing decay. You're preventing corruption. You're, you're, you're slowing the corruption or the decay down. Now, some of you may not have taken the time to deep dive in this, but you might actually enjoy it. Some of you who are especially interested in history. But if you study salt I'm not talking about like specifically necessarily the compound on the periodic chart, but if you study the history of salt and its impact in civilization, it's actually kind of fascinating that in antiquity especially, most of your major empires, they built a lot of their major cities. The reason why they built them where they built them was either because of a river or because of where they could find salt. Salt was so valuable in that day and time. In fact, what I found, even during this specific time, when Jesus is speaking these words in the midst of the Roman Empire, salt was more valuable than gold. Salt was this most precious commodity that you could have, specifically because when we think of salt, oftentimes we think of, oh, uh, my eggs, nasty, need a little salt. We, we add it for taste. Sure, I'm sure that, that, that was nice for them, but more than anything, it had to do with preservation. They wanted to make sure that their food was being preserved. They didn't have refrigerators, obviously, and it was a way in which they didn't have to go hunt as often or fish as often because they had food that they could preserve and, and be able to go and feed their family with. In fact, salt was so valuable that the Roman Empire would even pay its soldiers with salt and not with gold. In fact, some of you maybe have heard the term or heard this before, but the word that we have for salary is derived from the Latin word for, for salt. And you may have heard the expression of, that guy isn't worth his salt. He, he's not living up to what I am paying him to do. He's not worth his salt. It's an interesting history of it. But, but the root of what Jesus, I think, is, is hitting at here is that you are the salt of the earth, you are distinct and set apart from the world. And as you're called to be, is, is you're, you're a preservative. You're, you're making things last so they don't decay. And so this morning, I have in my pocket, as I should every week, beef jerky. And I love beef jerky, uh, but I don't have it very often because I went to the store and I was like, beef jerky is really expensive. And then I was like, oh, salt. Uh, or maybe it's the process. I don't know. But my hope was that today that one of you, as I was walking around, because I left the bag just a little bit open, that someone would go, what's that delicious smell? Because I can't still really smell. And if someone would be like, what does that smell? I'd be like, it's meat. I smell like a man. And this smells delicious. Um, <laughs> 
And so I, I went there and I found that the salt content is actually quite extreme. Um, and then uh, even in the package, like it has this thing to kind of preserve. So it literally says ageless. It, it's, uh, it's wanting to make sure that this lasts for an incredibly long time. Perhaps one of the greatest inventions, the Twinkie. The Twinkie is a delicious thing that you can have. I have a box over here. Some of you are like, I want one. I got some for you. I'm not going to lie. They're good. I had two last night. Um, and so these things, I'm pretty sure in like 10 years uh, that you could put this in a bunker somewhere and then you could still eat this and be like, good as the day that it was made. I mean, it is preserved, one, in cellophane, wonderful invention, but two, because of the salt content. It's, it's I think, the highest content when I looked at the ingredients of anything else. But we get the idea and we get the picture that even today we understand that salt preserves. Do you preserve God's truth and God's standard in a culture that is antithetical to what you believe? Do you stand true to your conviction of what you know to be true and to be right? Because this is the beautiful thing. Uh, I was hoping to find a a clear salt shaker, but I I couldn't. Um, But... As you guys know, I mean, it's a basic thing. It's just, it's just a little salt shaker. But I want you to have this picture in your head when you leave today. Is If we're not careful, sometimes what we do is we come together as the church and we come together to worship or, or to spend time together and, and we're kind of contained. But throughout the week, what God is desiring us for us to do is He's desiring us for us to be just scattered out into the world in order to be that preservative. I don't know what I'm going to do with this right now. Um, and um, see, I'll see that next week and be like, oh, you're supposed to be salt, Stephen. Um, but sometimes you might wonder, God, why did you put me here? Why am I at this job? Why am I living in this city? Why am I alive at this time? Why was I born in this country? Why was I born to these parents? Why is that my sibling? And we wonder at times, why? And my hope and desire, even as we experience and we saw yesterday in in heartbreak, and I thought the pastor did a great job in that service of sometimes we're going to ask why and we're not going to get the answer. We're going to ask the question, what about? And there's going to be lots of whatabouts for Zach and his family because it is, his dad was so young. I don't know. But what I do know is that, as we heard yesterday in that service, God's plans are not our plans. His ways are not our ways. But God is, 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 God, God is no fool. God is exactly knowing exactly where he has you and when he has you in order that he would scatter you in this community and in this church and in your family to be a specific preservative for those who need it around you. Sometimes we go, am I really making an impact? Well, you might not because you're, you're sidelining yourself But if you have Christ in you and the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you are an agent of preservation. You you are an ambassador for Christ, filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. So you have power, resurrection power within you in order to make to make a difference and to make a change around you. So so don't walk with your head low and be like, oh, I don't have the experience. I don't have the age. I'm too young. I'm too old. Uh, Whatever it may be, continue to be that preservative that God has called us to be. And when God scatters you into a place and you don't understand why, I think it's okay to ask God why. (laughs) But recognize that He knows what He's doing. And we can look at countless examples of how God has scattered His people in order to preserve His people and to preserve the truth. 
Remember when his people had to experience the consequence of their sin of worshiping idols in the Old Testament, and the, the empire of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar come along, and they capture those individuals, and they take them back to Babylon, and you see Daniel and his three friends preserve God's truth in the midst of a corrupt culture. They don't relent, but, but they're not rude, but they don't relent and they don't back down. And the, the truth is preserved even as they're in the midst of, if you will, enemy territory. We see it with Esther in the book of Esther. We see her preserving the people of God, the Jewish people, when there was a mandate and an edict sent out that they were all going to be wiped out and killed. And Esther has the courage to, to stand up and to stand out in a culture, in a world, and go before a king as a woman, even though the wife, as a woman, unwelcomed, not invited into the court, and fight for her people in order that they would be preserved. You were called to be agents of preservation, that Jesus and His love and His truth are not only worth living for, but Jesus and His love and His truth, they're, they're worth dying for. Do you believe that? It's a statement that we can throw out in the life of the church of like, I'll live for Jesus, I'll die for Jesus. But do you believe that? That you expend your life for the glory of the Lord. I want to urge you to live in the place that He has placed you. Seek the welfare of those that are around you. Seek the welfare of your neighbors. Seek ways in which you can uh, uh, lift them up as opposed to wondering when are they going to lift you up. Be that preservative. Even when the culture shifts, even when the foundation seems a little bit rocky. Jesus is not rocky. Jesus doesn't shift. His truth doesn't shift. If we're not careful, sometimes what we'll do is if we don't live as salt and we aren't that preservative and we aren't that kind of tasty thing being added into the, to this world is what we become is no longer tasty, but we become, we become bitter. And we need to make that, 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 that decision in, in, in a state and in a position like this because I don't want to be perceived... Uh, proverbial speaking, proverbial speaking of that bitter old individual who's yelling at people to get off my proverbial spiritual lawn. I, I want people engaged in my life who have a completely different cultural ethic than I do, not because I agree with them, but because I want to point them to Jesus. Would you be able to engage and be willing to be that preservative? But, but look at what he says as he goes on. So, so that's the first thing. As, as salt, we are to be that preservative. But the second is salt needs to stay salty. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled underfoot by men. Now, some of you may be some science nerds. I am not, not the best at science. And you might say, technically, technically, salt never can lose its saltiness. It's a stable compound. Good for you. You pass science class and you learn that periodic chart. But in this day and time, Whenever they would gather salt, uh, they, they would gather it in such a way that some, some of them, there were these silt beds, and when they would gather the salt within the silt bed, the salt was so diluted that it wasn't really useful as a preserving agent because it was too diluted. And so what they would do is they said, we're not going to, to waste this salt. We're going to take this, this salt that's been diluted and doesn't have its, its taste or its use anymore, and we're going to throw it onto the top of our roofs like a balcony, because that's where they would hang out. They weren't really hanging out inside that much. They were hanging out outside uh, because of no air conditioning. And they would use that as a way to, 
to have kind of like a, a little bit of a sediment there on their rooftops in order to kind of hang out. But obviously, if you're hanging out up there and you've dispersed the salt up there, then you're trampling all over it. And sometimes, if, if, if we're not careful, though, it can, we can be that preservative. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we feel trampled upon. Sometimes we, we look around and we wonder, where, where's the church? Where are the men and women of God in, in our workplaces or in our schools or in our community? Or where, where, where are they? And we've seen over the last several decades, if you want to look specifically within our denomination, is that we've begun to slip and slide like a lot of other mainline denominations, whether it's Presbyterian or Methodist, of our effectiveness and our impact within the culture and the world that is around us. I don't want to get into the statistics because I think they can get boring, and, but, but the final result is, is that, yes, we, we have slipped when it comes to, to numbers and to impact in the lives of, of our church, specifically as, as a denomination of, of, of Southern Baptists. But it, it doesn't mean that, 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 that we relent or that we hold back. We just might be those same pres- preservative agents as an Esther or a Daniel in a time when maybe others are, are slipping to the side and not rising up to the challenge when the culture does shift. What we need in this day and time, I believe, is more people who will take the Word of God and tell you what it says and not tell you seven psychological antidotes of what they think of how you should live your life. We need God's Word, not my Word. You don't need to hear what I did. We need to hear what Jesus did. That's what we need to know, and that's what we need to share. That's what we need to preserve above anything and everything else. Who is Jesus, and what has He done? And as we do so, I hope that what we become when we are the salt of the earth, is that we would say, how can I leverage my marriage to preserve this culture? How can I leverage my my marriage in order to shine a a light upon what it looks like for for Christ and His bride, the church, that people could see this? Um, For for other people, uh, it, it might be when there's a great need physically that arrives, will we rise up and help meet those needs? Uh, I remember years ago when I was living in Oklahoma, there was a, another major tornado that went through more Oklahoma. And part of me was like, move, <laughs> get, get out of there. About an hour from where Tiffany and I were living. And I remember going up to more Oklahoma to donate some supplies for some of the relief that was going on there. And it wasn't just a few hours later that the evening national evening news was on. And it was NBC News. And these two individuals were talking, the anchor and a guy on the field. And quote, the, the guy on the field said this. He says, he says, Brian, you and I have seen in so many different places in this country that if you are waiting on the government, you're going to be in for an awful long wait. But the Baptist men, they're going to get it done tomorrow. A moment of salt, light, preservation of saying, yeah, there, there is a bunch of just chaos and calamity around us, but we don't shy away from it. We don't shrink back from it. We'll even run into it in order that we can preserve and help meet people where they're at and help them meet their, their need. The last thing I want to mention to you about salt is that salt creates thirst, which is unique to me. Sometimes you might look at a bottle of water and you'll see that it has salt in it. And it's to do that one to kind of um, satisfy your, your thirst, but also to, I think, kind of create a little bit more thirst. Gatorade does this. It does this to quench your thirst, but it also does this, I think, to make you realize you you need to drink a little bit more in order to get hydrated. And we can see in Jesus and his his life and his ministry, when he meets the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he tells her that if you'll drink from the living well, you're never going to thirst again. And, And what I would ask us as individuals is, are you living in 
in a, a life in such a way that when people are around you, they, they're, they're intrigued and they begin to, to, to thirst for the things that you are already satisfied with. Sometimes we can live as Christians in a way to where we want to kind of be pulled out from the world, and it actually makes people so uncomfortable that it kind of, kind of makes them queasy. And I'm saying, can you make people around you intrigued or, or, or thirst that when they see the world around us sees the moral decay, we, we don't back down, and they see what we have maybe in our relationships, uh, in, our, in our peace of mind, uh, in, in, in our marriages, that they're like, I, I want that. I want to have a life that's set apart like, like that. But again, if we're not careful, when the culture begins to shift, we retreat back into that salt shaker. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You are the salt and you are the light. You need to, you need to get out. And so that leads me to my second point. You are the light of the world. Light fights back darkness. Light exposes the darkness. Light helps us to see what it is that we need to see. Light is not hidden. So if light is not hidden and he's calling you light, you are not to hide. He says that we are to be a city on a hill. The church and us as individuals, we, we, should be, we should be this beacon that people see, that people are drawn to like a moth to a flame because we are attractive and we are life-bringing and hope-giving. God's chosen you and He's chosen the church to make known His manifold wisdom of the gospel of Jesus. That's the way, that's the means by which people are going to be changed. They're not going to be changed just by wanting to have the right laws in place and politics in place. Those aren't bad, but what's going to bring transformation from the inside out is Jesus and Jesus alone. So as we've stressed over the course of the last several months, that when you're in conversation with people, I'm not saying that you go in there and, and, you go, and you're, you're the Bible thumper or whatever it may be, or the holier-than-thou person, but what you are doing is you're having conversations with your friends and with your neighbors, with your coworkers, about anything and everything, but you're finding a means by which to transition that conversation into a gospel conversation because you want to sprinkle a little bit of salt and a little bit of light into that conversation that directs them to Jesus, that they may know that right now, I don't want to talk about Jesus, but now I am aware you're a follower of Jesus. And that when I go through some hard times, and you seem to be at peace when you go through hard times, you might be someone that I come after. You might be someone that I talk to. The way that we react and respond to life as it hits us between the eyes, it matters. Not that we're fake, but it does matter because people are watching. The world is watching. We use that expression, the world is watching us, but they are. They're seeing how we react and how we respond. Is there a difference when we get squeezed there should be when we get squeezed versus when those who are outside of Christ get, get squeezed. We want to be that salt. We want, to, we want to be that light. So as God has chosen us to be that light, I think part of the way in which we're going to make that happen is it requires sacrifice. What I love about this church is this church has been an incredible family to be a part of because of times when we have asked you guys to give of yourself and your time, you have done so above and beyond, and it's been so encouraging just this week, I was writing a report to where we meet, this, the Concord Baptist Association, and you may not know, but they had, uh, I had applied for some, some funds so that we could have our event at the park back in June and also for the DR trip in, in July, and, and they, they gifted us uh, some funds for that. And I was writing this report of what had taken place, and it was fun for me to go back and think about our, our event in June. And I can remember, I was, as I was writing this report, 
I, I literally said, the thing that stood out to me the most was, yes, we got to engage with people in the community. And yes, there are things that I might do this way or that way the next time. But the thing that stood out to me the most was, this was one of our first events that we had done outside of the walls. And I believed, <laughs> but maybe I didn't trust. I was like, I was like who's going to show? Who, who from Mission Point is going to be a part of this? And when we got there, it was, it was literally like, statistically, it just doesn't make sense that like 95, 97% of our church family was there on like the hottest day of the summer at that point. God's like, let's just crank it up a little bit for Mission Point to put on an event at Barfield Park. And it was so fun to see. And it was fun to see like the different personalities and, and the different giftings and uniqueness, some of you are like, I'm not getting out of the shade, but I'm going to work my tail underneath this pavilion. And some of you are like, I'll go out and I'll, I'll play because uh, I, I, I want to do that. And just to see the different engagement with the people within the life of the community and whether you were introvert, extrovert, it didn't matter the personality, you were there for the purpose of, of wanting to serve alongside one another. And I, I wrote in that report, I was like, above all else, the thing that most encouraged me was we linked arms together as a church family, and we, we worked together, and we served together. Like, that's, that's the lasting memory that I'm having from, from that experience. It was a moment to be light and, and to be salt. Uh, next thing is light, light shows and light shines. And again, if he says you are the light of the world, it's not just, oh yeah, light shines and light shows. It's, no, you are to shine. You are to show. It's so incredibly important. If we live in a world that is darkness and we need the light to expose the truth in people's lives. I had an opportunity years ago to be able to go to uh, a place called Devil's Den, <laughs> and I got to do some caving in Arkansas with my brother. He and I had gone through this Bible study together. I was a junior in high school, and he said, when we get done, we're going to go on, like, on a camping trip, and then we're going to go caving. And I was like, oh, okay, I've never done that before. That'll be fun. And we, we went into the, the bowels of the earth, and as we began to, to kind of climb around in there, we got pretty far back into the cave and had our headlamps on, and he said, all right, Stephen, I want you to turn your light off. And I was like, all right, cool. And for a while, like, you're enveloped in darkness, and you're like, oh, this is kind of a fun experience. This is kind of exciting. And then after, you know, about 15, 20 seconds, uh, I turned my light back on, and he goes, what are you doing? Turn it back off. I was like okay. And I turned it off, and we just sat in there for a while, immersed in darkness. And after a while, two things. One is paralyzing because you can't see anything. Like, there's no bit of light. Your eyes and your pupils are not adjusting. And two things happen. One, at first, you're paralyzed, and it's like you're stuck. I don't want to move. And if I begin to move, I'm going to hit my knee on this rock, and I'm going to be even worse if I try to move. But then after a while, you get accustomed to it and you just want to sit and stay because I don't want to hurt myself. I think there are some friends and family members of ours, some coworkers, they are engulfed in darkness and they have been paralyzed and they become accustomed to it. And so when you do show up with the gospel of Jesus, and after about 15 minutes, when my brother was like, now you can turn your lamp on, <laughs> when you turn that light on, it smarts. It, it, it burns. It's offensive. Because it should be. When, when you present the truth of Jesus, again, we want to do it with tact and with grace, but with truth. When someone who's enveloped in darkness, 
And you say, well, they grew up in church. If they haven't come to Christ, they're still in darkness. They're still a part of that kingdom, not the kingdom of light yet. And what we want to present to them is, yeah, here's, here's the light. I know it's hurting, but if you'll stay with me, if we can have another conversation, if we can have another time to meet, if, if maybe you can see that I'm not just about getting the, the thing that I can check off in my mind or even at church of like, I had a gospel conversation with someone. It's like, I care about you because I've been praying for you and I care about your soul. Because if your soul doesn't come to understand its need for Christ and the forgiveness of your sin, you spend a Christless eternity in hell. And that burdens me for you. And so, yeah, it's going to smart a little bit. It's going to be offensive for a little bit. But let's sit in the light for just a little bit longer and see if you don't begin to get your eyes adjusted and begin to see Jesus and begin to see what it is that he has accomplished for you through the cross and through the resurrection. I want to point you to Jesus. The, the other thing that I, that I experienced before, and, and it's made me think of people who are engulfed or trapped in darkness, is uh, years ago when I was, I think I was in college and, and in seminary, uh, for whatever reason, uh, I began to have night terrors. And if you've never had night terrors, uh, they sound like they sound. They're terrifying. And I would have these incredibly vivid dreams. And I guess normally when I'm sleeping, I like it to be dark, but there's always a little bit of light maybe coming through the window or whatever. But when I was working at this camp, we, me and my brother and a few other guys, we slept in this thing called the cave. That's what we nicknamed it because no light could enter in. And it was incredible. Like We slept like babies. It was awesome. But the problem was Apparently, when I, whenever I'm asleep, I dream very vividly, and two, I almost like kind of come to a little bit as I'm sleeping and in my dream, and I can remember just waking up in the middle of the night, and I had this dream that I fell into this pit, and I can't get out, and it's caving in on me, and I'm on the top bunk, and when I sit up, I could almost touch the ceiling with my head, and I'm just, I'm just terrified in this moment, I'm literally just like hitting the ceiling as hard as I can, and I'm just going, help me, help me, help me. And my middle brother, Jeff, is in the bunk below me, and he, he's terrified. He jumps up, and there's, nobody can see anything. He gets up there, and he's like, Stephen, what's wrong? What's going on? And I'm like, I can't get out of the pit. I can't get out of the pit. And I'm just hitting that thing, and finally he gets me too, and he turns on the light, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> and he goes, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I don't know. He's like, go to sleep. And so I went to sleep. Story doesn't end. <laughs> Throughout the rest of that summer, I kept having these night terrors. And what was interesting was this. Though I was engulfed in darkness, and it was only light that brought me to, to know the reality that I was in. Even though I remained in that darkness, by my choice, Whenever I would have those night terrors and I would be hitting the wall or whatever it was and screaming out, Jeff, my brother, kind of got to the point of he didn't jump up anymore. He knew what was going on with me. He knew I was terrified. He was annoyed with me, but he would come along and he would just simply, from his bottom bunk, go, Stephen, you're in, it wasn't called the cave, (laughs) you're in the can, you're fine. And I was like, it would pierce through my dream. It would pierce through the darkness. I would hear his voice, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Some of you are like my brother 
to a friend or family member in your life, you're the only truth that they may ever hear from. So it matters that you speak. I've heard it said before, and I get it. Let your life live out the gospel. Absolutely. You, you, you got to. But we also know from Romans 10 that if we don't speak the gospel, how are they going to hear? If they don't hear the gospel, they can't respond to the gospel. Our words matter. And when you speak that truth in the darkness, it might just make some of them come to and realize, oh yeah, I, I, I do need to ask those questions I've thought about. But some, for some reason, I've gotten distracted of asking those questions. Well, I believe it's because in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, uh, four or First Corinthians four, that there is an enemy who wants to blind us and keep us in the dark. And so, some of you might be like, "I've had the conversation with my friend before, and they're just not getting it." But when's the last time you had that conversation with them? Maybe it's been weeks, months, or years, and they're like, they don't ever want to ask me any questions about Jesus. You, you are to be the instigator, kindly and tactfully. You are to be the instigator because you know what? You have an entity who is more powerful <laughs> than we give them credit for, Satan, who when you have had weeks or months since them, he has been trying to keep them engulfed from anything that has to do with Christ and keep them in darkness because he does not want them to come to know Christ. He wants to kill, he wants to steal, and he wants to destroy. What we say and how we live absolutely matters. And so, last thing I want to mention to you is just this idea that I want you to be that beacon of hope. You are the light of the world. You may be the best hope to point people to the ultimate hope of Jesus in your friend or family member's life. Again, he scattered you exactly where he wants you. You don't live on that street that you live on by coincidence. God knows where you live. He's got you there. The job that you're in that you might even just hate, some of you are like, I hate my job, I want a new job. I hope you get a new job. I really do. I know what it is to be in a job that you want to get out of. But while you're there, are you a beacon of hope and light? Be that beacon of hope and light. And not just for, not, 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 not just for yourself, but for, for His glory. And so this is how I want us to end this morning as, as, as we close. I'm going to give us just a few moments to pray. And what I'm asking you to do this morning is this. Is I want you to ask this question is, are you on mission with the Lord? Just this week, I heard this guy speaking. I like to listen to podcasts while I mow. And I heard this guy, he was preaching a sermon, and he had this great point. He's a pastor of a church in Missouri. And he's going through even what I knew we were going to be going especially through today, which is we're going to have some people uh, uh, in person on campus here, and we're going to have a lot of people today online. And I know there's this, there's this desire that we want to be in person on campus, and we do. We want to be that refuge for people in the midst of this world that we can sharpen and see one another. But I love that we do have the online opportunity for people that are needing to stay safe and stay quarantined for whatever that they're going through. But as that church in Missouri has struggled with, you know, are we on campus? Are we online? How do we navigate this? That church and their staff came to a point of, yeah, we love for you to be on campus. We hope that you'll at least join us online. But above all else, whether it's on campus, online, are you on mission. When you are away from being on an online service or an on-campus service of worship, are you going out into a culture, into a world that's all kinds of shifty, and you're on mission together, though scattered, for the glory of the Lord and for the gospel of Jesus, because we are that light and that salt and that hope and that preservation. And so, 
as, as we finish this morning, I want to ask you really two questions. One, if salt preserves, how are you helping preserve those around you? How are you maintaining the truth of God's Word? Are you engaging the culture or are you getting swept up into the culture? And the second thing is this, if, if light shines and we are to be that beacon of hope, I want you to think of that picture of a lighthouse. You all know what we're talking about. You've all heard the examples of being that beacon of hope to ships out on the water and in the darkness so they don't get destroyed. Years ago when I was in college, we had this thing called the Lighthouse Project. I don't know if it's still going on or not, but it was a great thing. And it's something similar to what we've heard Doug even challenge us to do, of praying for people and that we have the courage to have conversations with people, to have gospel conversations with people about Jesus. But in just a moment as we pray, I want to encourage you to take out your phone or take out a piece of paper, and I want you to write down the three names of people who come to your mind that you're like, these are three people that they need a little bit of hope in their life. And I'll say this, (laughs) one of them can be a fellow believer, but the other two, who are two people that you know who don't know Christ, but you could be that beacon of hope for them. And that what you would do is you would stick that piece of paper or have that note on your phone and you would, you would have it in a place that you will see and that you will continually pray for those three that you would be a lighthouse for. That you could be that beacon of hope to point them to the hope of Jesus Christ. Because it's hard for me to have that conversation with someone that needs to be had if I'm not praying for them, if my heart's not tender for them. And I want you to begin praying for those individuals. And so in just a moment, I want you to write down the name of three individuals. Put it in a place that you are going to go to from time to time. Stick it on your mirror as you're getting ready for work in the morning. And even if it's just a brief little sentence prayer for all of them, just go, Lord, give me an opportunity and provide that, that I would be able to be a beacon of hope for them and pray for them. And then when He provides that opportunity, that you would have the courage to speak, and to be salt and to be light. And so for just a few moments with your head bowed and your eyes closed as we finish, that's just what I want you to do. I'm going to give you the next few minutes. If you need a pen or piece of paper, there's some in the back uh, table. There's some papers and some pens, but I don't want us just to take this obvious passage that many of us have studied before of, we are to be salt, we are to be light. How? are you going to be salt and light tomorrow? Who are you going to be salt and light to tomorrow? Write down that neighbor. Write down that coworker. Even, and if right now that name that's coming up of someone is like the meanest person at your job, if, it's on, if he's, he or she's on your mind, I, I challenge you to pray for him. That you could be that beacon. Take a few moments and then we'll be done. For some of you, you thought of those three names real quickly. For others of you, you have one, maybe two in your head, on your heart. Maybe you're struggling for that third. I don't want you to leave going, oh, I failed. I didn't think of the third one. Take the names that you do have, and more than anything than just coming up with names, Pray for them and intentionally engage them. As I voice our closing prayer here, what I want to invite and offer for you is if you're watching online or if you're here on campus and you have the need to to visit 
about what it means to be salt and to be light. To have hope. Maybe some of you feel just encased in darkness. If you're online, send me an email. If you're in the room, in just a moment we're going to be done. You guys are going to get up and you're going to visit a little bit, help turn the room back. But if any of you would like to visit or pray together, I'll, I'll be available for that. We can go back to the conference room and we can visit and, and pray together. But as I voice our closing prayer, again, you can, you can listen in and eavesdrop, but more than anything, take the time to pray for those that God has brought to your mind and your heart. And, and for some of you, you're like, I, I don't know how much of a beacon of hope I'm going to be or how much of a preservative of salt I'm going to be because I'm struggling in my walk with the Lord. Then I would say, get your house in order. Fall on your face before the Lord. Recognize who He is. He didn't call you to be sidelined with your fear, with your sin. He set you free. Live in that and then go share that.